Welcome back to the podcast. This is Backseat Directors, and I am your host, Andre Hutchins. Thank you so much for joining me again today. And do we have an incredible episode for you guys today? Um, I'm going to be joined here real quickly uh, uh, by um, my co-host for today's episode, Chris Villegas. Uh, You guys might already know Chris from our recent movie review of a film called Bomb City. Uh, Chris and I, we both love that film, and he's going to join me again today because Chris and I, we actually have the incredible pleasure and opportunity to interview the director of that film, Bomb City. So I'm going to go ahead and welcome Chris to the show. Uh, We'll kick things off, and then we will welcome Jameson Brooks, the director and co-writer of Bomb City, to the show. Chris Villegas, Vi- or wait, Villegas, right? Villegas. Villegas, there you go. <laughs> dude, I should know, man. I learned, I, dude, I, I don't know if I told you this, but I, you know, I, I lived in Argentina for two years. I served a, a mission for my church, and, and I, dude, I spoke Spanish for two years. I should know how to say Villegas. Oh, it, it's that Tex-Mex Spanish too, so it, it's a little different. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and people saying Amarillo when it's actually Amarillo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, dude, thanks so much for joining me, man. I, I, we've got we've got a pretty sweet interview here coming up. Um, oh yeah, so stoked. Yes, so yeah. So we're we're gonna get the director of Bomb City. We're gonna be able to talk to him. Um, but uh, Chris, this is the second time I've had you on my podcast. And, I know, uh, and you haven't been on mine. <laughs> I need to remedy this. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get that fixed here soon. <laughs> I, I have no doubt. And you're coming up on a hundred episodes on your podcast, right? Yes, we are here in about three weeks. Number one hundred. Got big things planned. <laughs> Very good, man. Very good. So, uh, uh, since I, I would imagine most of our listeners probably would have heard our review of Bomb City already, um, but uh, just in case, uh, because we're we're gonna get into this interview with Jameson here uh, real quick, but. Why don't you go, uh, just update the listeners again on Screen Addicts? Um, just give them a little background on your podcast and yeah. how they can get a hold of you guys. All right. So uh, me and a couple old middle school buddies uh, decided to put mics in front of our faces and talk about movies and TV, and we call ourselves the Screen Addicts. Um, we've uh, going on a hundred episodes. Love doing it. Love talking about all things that are on a screen basically and you know you get those podcasts and those those groups of people that they all think alike well that's not it with us we all have different different ideas of what we like so it's a little fun but uh you can definitely catch us on any any uh pod uh catcher you got uh stitcher uh apple podcast google google play uh Basically, anywhere you can find a podcast, you'll be able to find us. Sweet. And, uh, you know, again, uh, Chris, I'm happy to have you on the podcast. Um, I'm very happy that you're going to be joining me on this interview. Uh, You know, obviously, uh, uh, Jameson uh, Brooks, the director of Bomb City, the film takes place in, in Amarillo. A lot of the movie was shot in Amarillo, and you, my friend, are from Amarillo. So, uh, yes, so born, it, raised, and still live here. Yeah, so it all kind of fits. It all kind of fits. So, uh, um, so yes, thanks, thanks for joining me, um, listeners. Uh, no, yeah. Wanted to thank you, man, for bringing me on. It's just, you know, it's not a, a lot uh, that these 
our indie podcasts like us get to actually talk to uh, directors of movies and stuff like that. So it, know, this is a treat, man, and I appreciate I you bringing me on. Hey, of course, man. You you were the first person that I would want on this podcast anyway for this interview. So, um, listeners, thank you for for joining us. Uh, I, I think uh, you're going to really like what we have in store in this interview with Jameson Brooks and uh, in his film, The Bomb City. So uh, why don't we go ahead, uh, get things going, and introduce uh, Jameson Brooks. All right, listeners, uh, we have got the director and writer of Bomb City with us, Jameson Brooks. Welcome to Backseat Directors. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, you, oh, Jameson, this is this is our pleasure. This is all our pleasure. And so, uh, once again, yeah, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to hop on the podcast with uh, with me and my good friend Chris. So, yes, uh, yes, uh, yeah. So, Chris, Chris is the uh, he is the founder uh, creator of a podcast actually out in your neck of the woods, um, Screen Addicts. And so, I, I'm I'm happy he was able to join us as well. Um, I'm all the way out in Salt Lake City, so uh, it, it's nice having someone who's more familiar with uh, that, uh, you know, the panhandle of Texas. But, uh, um, but Jameson, um, we we just want to get to know you. Uh, we want our listeners to be able to get to know you, and uh, a little bit about your movie as well. So, um, it, Chris and I, we actually got to see your movie. Uh, I, I saw it back in February, but I, Chris, I think you got to see it at the. Uh, the screening in Amarillo, did you not? Yeah, I uh, was actually fortunate enough to get to go to the premiere that y'all had at the Globe News Center. Oh, okay, cool, cool. With uh, CJ Ramon, and when I guess y'all were all up there to do a little Q and A after after the movie. Yeah, so. uh, man, I was a nervous wreck uh, oh. at that, <laughs> that whole event. Um, oh man, yeah, it, that was that cool was, that you made it made it out to that. Yeah, it, it, man, it was so much fun. I like. I was like, I have to go to this. I'm like, I can't call myself a movie podcaster if I do not go to this. So, <laughs> so Jameson, uh, we just we just want to get to know you a little bit before we actually start talking about Bomb City. Um, you know, Bomb City is your first feature full length film, is it not? Uh, it is. It is. Um, I've been I've been in production for I'd say all types of production. You know, the, the usual music videos, commercials, um, short films, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, you know, I've been doing that for I don't know, since I was like 16, maybe. Um, so it's been it's been a few years now. And um, I mean, I guess I'm still relatively young in the game, um, but but still. Uh, so, yeah, Bomb City. I mean, this was uh, this is a story that happened, uh, you know, in Amarillo where, where I grew up and I was 12 uh, whenever it happened. So it was, it was something that, you know, had, had resonated with me and, uh, the other writer, um, and producer composer Sheldon chick, um, were both from Amarillo and, uh, he was, I think 15 when it happened. So it was just one of those deals where, you know, we were finally at a point, um, you know, we've been working together for a while in, in our production careers that we were like, you know what, let's give, uh, let's give the Brian Dennecke story a shot and let's see where it goes. And, and uh, so we dove in about five years ago, and uh, here we are now. So <laughs> nice, very good. So, yeah. so, so you were you are uh, like you born and raised in Amarillo. Correct. So I wasn't born there. I was actually born. I was born somewhere else in Texas. But you know, we'll keep it short and simple and say, yeah, I'm from 
Born and bred in Amarillo. <laughs> well, no, that's all right. And Chris, Chris, I know you are you're born and raised in Amarillo, but uh, I, I always like to claim that I'm also uh, from Texas a little bit. I was I was born in Houston, but I haven't lived in Texas since I was about three years old. So uh, <laughs> okay, as long as you were born here, I mean, we still claim you. It's all right. <laughs> right, right. So so tell us tell us what it's like uh, growing up in Amarillo, and I guess maybe the film scene in Amarillo. And when you kind of started getting really interested in in production and filming and things like that, Chris might be able to tell you more about the film scene in Amarillo. I don't I don't know. I haven't been in Amarillo or lived in Amarillo for going on about ten years now, eleven years. Oh, nice. Um, but um, as far as you know, we we filmed some stuff for actually a lot of it, um, quite a bit of the the film out in uh, the Panhandle and all around a lot of small towns that are around Amarillo as well. And um, the film commission there was awesome. They were it was actually a uh, tourism and film department, so that was kind of a new one. Um, but they were, you know, they they accepted us with open arms, and and it was so easy to film um, any location we wanted to in Amarillo. We don't really run into that um, filming in Dallas or Houston or Austin or anywhere else. You know, there's a lot of a lot of these other locations. You know, in these bigger cities, you know, you got to pay to play, so to speak. Um, but Amarillo was pretty much, you know open arms and, and they were all for it. Um, and so, um, yeah, Amarillo though, um, growing up there, I, uh, I was an avid BMXer and skateboarder. So I, uh, started out doing those kind of videos just with a group of friends and, and we would go and, and we'd film in Amarillo, we'd film in Albuquerque, we'd film in Denver and just kind of like document our road trips. And, uh, and so that was kind of where I got my start with the video camera. Um, and then it just kind of, you know, progressed from there and, like I said, got into music videos and commercials and all that kind of stuff and went to film school at a university of North Texas out here in Denton. Um, and yeah, so, um, here we are. (laughs) So I'm looking at the IMDB page for bomb city right now. And, uh, yeah, you know, uh, next to director says Jameson Brooks, it has your name, but it also says in apostrophe or in, uh, (laughs) and (laughs) in brackets, it says, uh, as Jamie Brooks, I have about uh, forty names, uh, really, <laughs> but I actually have I have four given names. My actual given name is Jamie Ryan Scott Brooks. Um, Jameson is a way to condense all of that, and it's actually uh, a nickname that uh, a lot of my friends have given me over the years. So that is why I go by Jameson Brooks, um, and it simplifies the name, and it's a lot easier to uh, you know. I'm not two people at every film festival. It's not Jamie Ryan and Scott Brooks <laughs> so, <laughs> anywhere it plays. So, um, yeah, so just figured that would make it easier. And, and uh, yeah, so that's why my so, names are that. <laughs> so, so tell us tell us about your, your experience going to film school, uh, film school in North Texas. And, uh, um, and, and just, I, I guess, what, what that was like, if it met your expectations or if there were things about it that you maybe surprised you and things that you uh, – um, really took away from going to film school. I, I don't. I don't necessarily want to say anything bad about my experience. My experience overall was great there. Um, I've just. I've always been the kind of person that you know. I early on, I you know worked a full time job to pay for my own equipment, so I always had my own camera. Um, so I was doing projects outside of school um, a lot, and uh, a lot of times, even with film school, you know, it would be you know the project would be hey you know here's a interview you know set up this this three-point lighting interview um and i would tell the teacher no i'm not going to do that i'm working on a music video right now how about i turn in my music video 
And uh, eventually they were like, okay, cool, yeah, turn it into a music video because that's like way more work. So I would end up turning in kind of my side projects as work um, because a lot of times, I mean, what they taught us there, I, I, it was more of the basics, just like, you know, this is how you roll an extension cord, this is how you set up a C-stand, this is, you know, that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, really? I'm like, well, Interesting. I'm like, yeah, well, I was like, where do we, you know, I want to learn about writing, I want to learn about film development, I want to learn about storyboarding, I wanna, you know what I mean, all the different you know stuff that you you need to know you know to get into this business and and um they didn't really have anything they didn't offer anything that was you know nothing you couldn't find online um until my final year my final year i actually met um eugene martin who was uh an amazing professor um he was actually from i think the the philadelphia area and it was his first year there so he was kind of like a breath of fresh air um he was a he was a professor who was actively making films um he had worked with a lot of very credible actors and he had a lot of really good insight for me um especially it being my final year at unt and so if if it wasn't for that final year i would probably said i would have had a horrible film uh school experience but um eugene saved the day on that one and uh he uh, he's really helped me out and i still stay in contact with him now and he actually came out to a few days uh we were filming bomb city um we filmed the mr frosty scene there was like a diner scene and uh, it was actually that that location is down the street from um university of north texas in denton um so it's not even in amarillo but um so anyway so my professor came out and, and he uh you know checked it out and was part of that and this, so that was kind of cool so so did the idea of bomb city did that begin uh while you were still going to film school uh no i mean the the idea has always been there i mean like I said, this is something that happened when I was 12, but I, I never in a thousand years would have dreamt that, um, you know, I'd have the opportunity to be a part of something like this. Um, it was it was just such a, I don't know, it was an unsettling story and, and uh, it had so much gravity to it. And it was just something that has shaped the way that I've always kind of viewed things, you know, growing up, especially in a very conservative town like Amarillo over the years and, and how, you know, I don't know. It's a very segregated town. Um, I don't know if it still is. I think the internet's kind of helped with that, but I know growing up there, it was very um, oh, it's, super it still segregated. Is. Okay, we so st- we still are. We're we're. I mean, it, it's a lot better than than it used to be, um, but I mean, you can still tell you know the the division here about you know you know uh, growing up here. I mean, the north side, the east side, and the west side. I mean, it's still pretty, pretty, pretty segregated here. Like yeah. I said, it, it, it's getting a little better, um, and hopefully with with more time, and you know, even with the movie coming out, man, it it um, it'll help help some. I, I know we're just Amarillo is kind of setting its ways here. Definitely. Well, I mean, it's wide open spaces. It's middle of nowhere, you know, and mm-hmm. I've always said time does not exist there because it's a timeless place. <laughs> I always call it the black hole. I always call it the black because you enter you enter it and it's like you enter like I always say 300 frames per second as soon as you enter town. It's like everything moves so much slower than like the rest of the world. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a it's got this weird, weird, I don't know, weird thing that goes on there. Uh, uh, definitely, I love it. I mean, yeah, but. If you don't get out like you did, you will be stuck here like I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so, uh, so well, where, where you said so you said it's been about ten years. Where do you find yourself now? Um, I'm in Dallas now, so I'm based out of Dallas. Um, 
So I actually run a production company with uh, a couple other guys out of here. Um, Sheldon Chick, Major Dodge, and Cody Chick. And um, so we kind of – this – I mean, Bomb City was really just a – you know, we were all first-time everything, if, if you want to consider that. So you're talking first-time producers, first-time director, first-time writers, uh, first-time composers. So pretty much everything you saw with the movie is, is technically by rookies, even though we've been – um, you know, we've been in the business for a while, but just not really in the narrative feature world. Um, so this was, this was definitely a passion project. Um, you know, and, and we're going on five years, I believe is when we initially sat down with the, uh, the Dinicky family, um, Mike and Betty Dinicky, who are the nicest, kind of sweetest people in the whole wide world. And, uh, they are, they are incredible people. They are, they are my heroes, um, hands down. Yeah, well, yeah. Let's go, let's go ahead and start talking yeah. about Bomb City then. So you said it was about five years ago that you did sit down with Brian's parents. Um, so what 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 was that what was that in, initial interaction like with them when you I guess you you proposed the idea of doing the film about Brian? Man, it was uh, so it was me and Sheldon, and uh, we had met them at there's this coffee shop called Roasters. It's in Amarillo. Um, it's just kind of a local you know local little coffee shop. Anyway, never been so nervous in my life. Um, up to that point, because, you know, I've never, I've never done anything like this. So it was, it was really just a matter of, um, you know, me and Sheldon kind of had a game plan. We were like, okay, we're going to get in there. We're going to tell them what we're going to do. And then they're just going to tell us all about their son and it's going to go so great, you know? And so we went in there and come to find out we did all the talking. They didn't really say much because so many people over the years had approached them and said, Hey, we're going to make this movie. Hey, we're going to make this movie. And I think it even, you know, it got passed down from like MTV projects that happened back in 2000 and some other big time producers coming in saying they're going to do it. And, you know, for whatever reason, funding falls through. So we go in there and they're already kind of skeptical about it. Um, but I think just sitting there and saying, hey, look, you know, we are, you know, we're from here. Um, you know, I, I grew up, you know, skateboarding, BMXing like Brian did as well. And Sheldon grew up in the music scene. He played a lot of these same venues that your son played shows at. Like we know we know this culture, we know this world, like we, we, you know, we're from this town, like, just give us a shot. Let's see where it goes. And, uh, you know, they were, they were all for it and have been completely supportive ever since. Wow. That's incredible. One of the things that I've enjoyed most about, about bomb city and I, and I was able to get the digital uh, version on iTunes. And so there's a lot of bonus, bonus features in there with, uh, you know, a lot of the behind the scenes footage and interviews with, with Brian's parents. And, uh, uh, they, they seem like outstanding people, no doubt. Oh man, they are amazing. They are amazing for sure. So, okay. So let's go back five years then. So you, you meet with Brian's parents. Um, it, it, it sounds like, you know, in, in, in a certain sense that meeting went well, or at least well enough that you guys wanted to proceed. Um, now since, since like you said, I mean, you said you and your team were, were, uh, for the most part rookies. So, um, just because I, I don't really know how something like this works and, and, and I'm not sure if Chris does either, but, um, how, how did you guys get the funding, um, to be able to produce this movie since this is really your first full length feature feature film? So that was, uh, you know, being a first time director, I was a, a huge, uh, you know, what's the word for it? Liability. Um, so it's just really a matter of what I found out. We, we basically had three jobs. So we had. Oops, excuse me real quick. <clears throat> we had, uh, what I would do is I would make a lookbook and kind of like a, a, a pitch deck with uh, a lot of beautiful imagery. Um, Sheldon 
um, would basically look up an entire business plan and give us all the information, um, you know, to bring on these investors. And then we had Major Dodge, who is another one of the producers on the film. He would go out and he's like the most amazing salesman ever. So he, he could go and sell literally anything to anybody. Um, not to say this is selling anything to anybody, but really it was a matter of, um, you know, he went out and, and reached out to his network and he wasn't afraid to, to say, hey, we're doing this film. You know, do you want to invest? I want to invest. And he, and he just went around and, and uh, eventually we got a lot of really great, um, you know, executive producers and investors on board that uh, wanted to contribute and be a part of the project. And so um, just kind of as a team, that's that was, those were kind of our roles. And, and uh, I mean, it took two or three years really to get it up and running. But once we got the initial investment, um, it just kind of snowballed effect from there. Yeah, so and I think that's one of the things that probably stands out most in the film is that it, it, on first view, I, I would have never, never have thought that this was going to be your first movie or your first full length movie. At least I know you didn't like you said music videos and shorts and things like that. But uh, and and the the film though, the film does not give off the vibe of kind of the lower budget indie type films. It it, it has something more of substance. Um, and what, what, what do you think, I, I guess, what do you think might attribute to that in terms of kind of how the viewers might experience the film on the first time? I, I don't know. I mean, it's a matter of, you know, I knew from the beginning that we needed to shoot this thing anamorphically, um, just because it has a really high end look to it. Um, and so actually there's a local, uh, DP out of Dallas, Jake Wilganowski, who's incredible, um, DP, and he's always fun to work with and, uh, we've shot many commercials together over the years. And so, um, you know, we were like, cool, let's, let's shoot it. Let's shoot this anamorphically. Indie films aren't known for that. It'll give it a very high end look. Um, even Richard Linklater, after watching the film, I think in Austin, he was like, oh my gosh, I'll show anamorphic. I, you know, I had no idea that, you know, micro budget indie film could shoot anamorphic. And, and, uh, so there was that. And then the other element really, um, I think is the music. Indie films are not known for scores. Um, and so we had Cody Chick and, and Sheldon, um, who I keep talking, who I keep talking about. Um, they work very well together, and uh, so you know, they they just established this connection early on, and, and uh, we kind of all work hand in hand together, and, and they always experiment, and uh, eventually, you know, they just go crazy with it. I have no idea how to get to the point, but they make really <laughs> really pretty music, and. Uh, it's uh, it's a lot of fun to witness and be a part of and, and just observe and, and they kill it. And I, I think really those two, I think, I mean, I'd just say more of the cinematography aspect. We paid a lot of attention to that and a lot of attention to the music. Um, and then, you know, the acting and everything that falls in place, um, you know, as you go and as you start casting. And this one was different because, um, you know, the Brian Dennehy role was so important that it was the very last role that we even cast um, going into the film. So. Um, you know, as someone had asked us, if you had all the money in the world, who could play Brian Dennehy? And we had no idea what the answer would be. We, you know, we had no idea. We, we didn't know. So, um, fortunately we, uh, we got, you know, actors like Glenn Morshower on board. who's actually a good friend of Major Dodge. Uh, Major actually did the casting as well. So not only, only was he a producer, but he's also the casting director. So, um, we all wore many hats on this thing. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of, I think there's a passion project more than anything. So I think that's really where we focused more of our budget on was let's put it on screen. Let's just make sure that it gets seen and, and gets gets used. 
Now, I'm glad you brought up the music because uh, Chris and I, we actually reviewed this film together. And uh, and just speaking to the highlights and the things we like most about this film, for me, the music is what really drove home the tone of this film. And and just kind of the, the the whole tension and the climactic build up until the very end, I, I was I was thoroughly impressed so much that I I was all over YouTube trying to find <laughs> trying to find the, <laughs> the film score and I, I hope I hope maybe one day you guys can can release I, I don't know just a digital version on iTunes or something like that because it was it was incredible it really was. It's funny you say that because uh, we're actually um, about to release another one of those featurette videos with. Uh, how the music was made and kind of what went into that. And uh, Sheldon and Cody are both going to be basically talk in depth on the whole process. So they know nice. a lot more about that stuff than I do. Um, I I would always be present for all the sound hunts whenever they try to find a good a good sound and and uh, and it was it was like chaos literally being in there until they found the right the right sound and then it was like oh wow this is really cool just to kind of see how it works from their end. It's kind of a, it's an interesting interesting perspective because you don't really think of films that way right um you know as far as what goes into the music that's behind it and and yeah what sets those tonal elements and and the tone really when we went into this project we thought this was going to be more of like a nine inch nails industrial electronic kind of score and what we found out was um the symphony type stuff um worked way better as far as evoking the emotion um that we wanted to try to you know reach the audience and, and, and kind of put you in this trance and, and make it as visceral as possible. Um, and, and they found uh, what they just kept working and working and working. And eventually they, they showed, uh, they showed me what, what was eventually going to be basically the main theme, the fight your oppressors theme is what we call it. It's, it's the song whenever they're headed to the fight, you know, they're in the back yes. of the truck and, yes. and it's, it's kind of like the impending doom right. that's happening, but right. they came up with this song and they showed it and and they're like, well, this isn't for Bomb City. This is just something, you know, we've made. Um, we think it'd probably be good for like a network TV show or something. And then so I heard it and I was like, you know what? Let's just let's put it up, you know, for the drive to the fight. And so we we played the drive to the fight in that same song. and we We're like, oh, this is it. You know what I mean? So it's just kind of it was kind of cool. It was a lot of happy accidents along the way and a lot of stuff. <laughs> that, um, it's just how it kind of unfolds and how it how it works. So. It was very interesting, but yeah, check out the featurette once it comes out because they'll they'll be able to talk way more about you know the technicalities and everything than I can. How how would we be able to get a hold of the featurette? I will get it over to you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll let you know um, whenever whenever we do release it. There's like nice. a set plan once we put everything out, and I think it'll probably our DVD is about to be released on April 10th. Um, so we're gonna have a few more videos that are gonna kind of kind of coincide with that initial launch so yeah and so just just as a viewer uh, the, the way that i was able to experience the film and and the the tone that the music said is i really i i'm really happy that you guys went this direction because for me it, it really got at the heart of of the characters and not and specifically with brian and and just it, it humanized him in such a way that that you know, outside of his exterior, which was the way most people saw him and judged him, you know, there was there was his humanity, and I think I think the music really really helped to bring that out. And so, speaking of, I guess speaking of getting to the heart of Brian Dennehy, um, tell us a little about Dave Davis. So you said he he was the last actor to get casted. 
Um, he was the very last one. Yep. Yeah. So, so tell us, um, tell us about your experience directing him and uh, just him as an actor and, and anything else. Dave is just an awesome all around dude. I, I cannot think of anyone else that, that could, you know, take on such, such an important role and such a, it was so meaningful to everybody that was involved with the project. And uh, not only Dave, you know, he not only captured Brian's spirit, you know, the best way he could on screen, but he really captured it out like what you don't see off of the screen, like basically behind the scenes. He had worked, you know, he went and talked with like the Denicky family. He worked with a lot of Brian's friends. Uh, he would take little nuggets from them and implement those into the into the screenplay wherever he could and kind of throw those in there to make it authentic to the real life people. Um, so. Yeah, man, he's just he's just a great guy, and, and he brought so much energy and like fun love, and he's just like a he was just a really fun dude. And so like being on set with him every day was was an awesome experience. And and uh, I remember what I would do a lot of times whenever it was it was kind of like a, a sad scene or you know one of the more dramatic scenes is I would I always had a song in mind. Like I always had like I I love soundtracks. I love studying you know the big films and all the work that goes into their scores and everything. And so I'd always have like these, these headphones on, you know, on set. And sometimes I'd be like, Hey Dave, check this out. Listen to this before um, you do this scene. And so he would, you know, take a listen to it. And I think tonally it would get him there as far as like, okay, I need to slow it down or I need to speed it up. Or it would kind of give him a weird direction that way. And uh, he said he'd never, he's never really been approached that way by anybody. So that was kind of interesting, but that's really the only way I'm, I'm really not much of, of, one for words on set i i could more like visually show people that makes sense um or have you hear it of right. what i'm thinking so i don't know it just seemed to kind of work and and uh i mean dave's audition tape was like genius he for the part so everyone else you know they did the, the typical i don't know how familiar you guys are you guys are with audition tapes but usually it's like a white wall in the background and you know some person's auditioning and <laughs> you know you just you whatever you know and they film it with their phone or whatever it is and Dave was skateboarding in a ditch in California and uh, was jumping around and like ollieing and doing all these tricks. So immediately I was like, okay, this dude can skate. And skating was a big deal. We wanted someone who could actually really skate. Um, so that was the hard part was finding someone who could pull off a genuine punk rocker, have the look, but have Brian's heart at the same time, but also have a skateboarding ability that could match up to Brian. Because Brian was a really good skater. Um, and those aren't, those aren't easy things, you know, to look for. And not only that, but his hair, the actor's hair had to be long enough to coat a mohawk, um, all that kind of stuff. So Dave sent in that audition tape. He was super energetic. He had the, um, spirit we were looking for and the creativity. And, uh, I mean, it just went from there and, uh, he dove right in and, and I mean, he took the burden like a champ and, uh, he's extremely close with, uh, Brian's family now and, uh, with a lot of Brian's friends and stuff. So it, it's been a really cool experience. Yeah. I remember, uh, during the Q and a at the end of the, the premiere here, um, somebody, uh, asking him, you know, how, how much he got into the role. And I remember, uh, Brian's parents talking about how they were on set one time and they just were in awe of the way his, that Dave Davis's mannerisms that they felt like Brian was on set. And that he got so much in the character, I was just that that amazed me like uh, crazy. Somebody that can, you know, just take little bits like you were saying from uh, Brian's family and friends, and 
just even at that point. This at person. that point, what they're what they're referencing uh, was actually day one. Dave Dave literally joined the cast the day before we started shooting Principal. So <laughs> he joined the day before he showed up. He had this this curly hair. Um, he had no sleep. Um, I remember he was he just came off a shoot. Um, he was like in Louisiana or somewhere, and he he literally fell asleep during our table read. So we had a table read, and uh, I was like, "Oh no, did we hire the wrong guy? Oh crap!" You know what I mean? Going into this thing, and uh, so day one comes around, and we're like, uh, "How's this gonna go? I don't know. The real life family's gonna be here. A lot of Brian's friends are gonna be here. What are we gonna do?" And then Dave gets out there. He I don't know what happened, but he just literally transformed as soon as he got that mohawk. He was like, "I don't know." He he really he said. He even said it's a lot of guessing. He's like, I had, I really didn't have much to go off of, and we really didn't, we didn't know that much because, I mean, a lot of people um, were skeptical on us, you know, doing the story in the first place. A lot of the real life people, because, like I said, they, a lot of them had been approached by a lot of people before, and this is something that's happened, and it's let them down every time. Um, so for it to actually be happening, I think there's, it kind of shocked them a little bit, everybody involved, and so. Um, but Dave went out there and, and he just gave it his energy and he just kind of like, I don't know, I don't know what he did, but he somehow summoned, I guess, what Brian's spirit would be and and uh, fooled Mike and Betty, which is probably the best compliment you can get. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, that no, was pretty that, cool. It really is amazing. So and that was that was Dave Davis's hair, his own hair in the Mohawk. That's his own hair. Oh, I yep. love it. Oh, that's it's so him awesome. skating in the film. There's, <laughs> that's so awesome. What, what really it disappoints me, but we had this really awesome scene in the beginning where he's sketching along a car. So sketching is like when you when you hold on to the back of the car and you're skateboarding. And so he's skateboarding, uh, you know, going like 30, 40 miles an hour, you know, down a street, um, which is not recommended um, <laughs> if you don't know how to skate. And uh, he's wearing combat boots, and you know he has that mohawk, and he's skating behind his car, and yeah. and uh, it was a really cool scene. We ended up having to cut it for time's sake, but um, it was hard to let go. And I know Dave's really disappointed we had to let that one go, but um, <laughs> that's really where he showed how good he was at skating. Um, but uh, so, so one yeah, question cool. I I really uh, wanted to know, and I didn't get to, a chance to ask you, but. Um, what was who made the final decision for the opening scene to be the triple X silos? Because uh, you see that, and like if you're not from Amarillo, you you don't actually know that's a real place. You know. So the and, uh, yeah, well, it's it's a staple. I mean, it's it's yeah. every time I would come visit Amarillo from Dallas. Um, that's the first thing you see when you enter town. You see the triple X from the highway. <laughs> driving in on 287 or I-40 or whichever highway you're on. But um, you always see that, especially at night. And it's something mm-hmm. that always sticks out. And it's so distinctive. Um, and so we, we had to do it. It's part of the Amarillo landscape. In fact, it was in all of our pitch decks. It was in, it was in all of our – it's funny. If you, if you break down this town of Amarillo, which from the surface looks like, oh, it's just a town out in the middle of nowhere. There's really nothing special to it. But it is so weird how religious it is, but yet how – dirty the underbelly of the town is so like you'll have a church you'll have a church on one street and you'll have a strip club across the street on the other you know like catty corner from each other so it's this weird uh it's just it's it's weird it's it's a lawless town and uh so i think starting it out with something that's more of like shocking to people where they're like what am i watching yeah um but really i think just just the reaction we get when you know when when people from amarillo watch it and they see that opening shot um, and you hear them laugh or like cheer or whatever it is. It's always kind of funny because it's 
you know, most people think we're going to start it off with like the steak ranch or whatever, you know, the big Texan mm-hmm. and the big Texan. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. But no, we, uh, chose to go a different that, route on this one. So. I mean, <laughs> I, I thought, I thought it was amazing. I was like, you know, never in a million years would I thought this would, that would be the opening shot of this movie, but it comes up and I'm just like, that's, it was awesome. man. <laughs> it was so awesome. Well, Chris, I'm actually glad you brought this up because just, you know, for, for me and everybody else, who's not, you know, familiar with Amarillo or have never been to Amarillo. Obviously, I I know what that's you know that 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 scene means because you explained it to me previously. But uh, uh and Jameson, tell tell me if you've ever heard of this before. So I've actually uh, just I I'm, I can't remember whose interview I was listening to, but they were talking about how to create um a, a character that is intriguing enough for the audience to want to get to know. And 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 they the person that was being interviewed said said sometimes people think that you can make a character more more interesting to a wider view or a wider audience by making him more generic that more way more people can maybe relate to them but they said no the way you make an in uh, a more intriguing character is you make you make it more personal intimate even if people don't know or understand the setting or the person and so you make them as different as possible from from everybody else. And so with that scene, I remember the first time I saw it, I didn't understand what it meant, but I knew I knew that that had to have been something or someplace in Amarillo. So for me, it was like, oh, this is really interesting. This is this is telling me something about the city of Amarillo and what it's like there. And then obviously, yes, like you know, within the film, you'll get to know the more conservative. Uh, I guess religious aspects of the film, and especially just you know how in the courtroom scene they you know the the uh, I'm oh, what was the actor's name um um Glenn Glenn, Glenn yeah Glenn Morshower yeah. and how he you know he uh, elevates the you know uh, how important it is to you know play on the football team instead of being a punker or whatever um, but mm-hmm. no I I I really really appreciated that shot even though I didn't fully understand it. It was telling me something about Amarillo, but uh, I, I think that's great. I, and I like that you guys can uh, kind of reminisce about that. But Chris, didn't you say that it's been torn down since? I think, you know, I I don't ever get out of town much, but it's I, still up there. Is it still uh, up there? I, yeah, because I don't I, go by. I saw out there it during the Amarillo much. premiere. It was up. That was, oh, that was man, the last time I was in Amarillo, and, and is, I, I'll be looking for it. I look for it every time. <laughs> oh, yeah. They lied oh, it up. Man. That's um, hilarious. <laughs> Funny story that we, we actually walked in there to get permission to shoot the uh, you know to get that shot. We had to we had to walk in there. I didn't even I didn't think about it. It was me and and Jake Wilkonowski, so that the DP and we were it was like a skeleton crew when we were shooting that. It was like uh, you know just it was like four of us out there and and so me and Jake walk into this. It's like an adult bookstore, novelty store, but there's also like some adult theater in the back. I don't know, whatever. Super sketch place, right? Okay. Anyway, you walk in there. <laughs> Walk in there and you go to the counter, you know, and everyone's like scoping us out as we walk in. And uh, I'm like, hey, uh, we're shooting an independent film out here in the parking lot. Is it cool if, if we shoot? And they're like, uh, yeah, it's all good. And then I, th- I was like, oh, my gosh, I just said an independent film. They probably think we're <laughs> shooting something totally something not. Something that they'll sell. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I didn't even think about that. But I was like, you know what? They said it's cool. Let's get the hell out of here and let's go shoot. So we went out there and shot it and got out of there. So oh, what, um, what, what other scenes cool. What other scenes did uh, you take advantage of by shoot, uh, by filming or shooting in Amarillo? Um, let's see. Cadillac Ranch, of course. Cadillac the Cadillac Ranch. Ranch. Um, okay, Amarillo is a huge uh, wild card as far as shooting – 
any exteriors because it is the windiest uh, city in the country. Um, I think Chicago is ranked number 10 and Amarillo is ranked number one. Oh, interesting. So huh. if that tells you anything. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, and you, you can't really, it's hard to film anywhere windy. I mean, it's, and if you want good, clean audio and a lot of times what, you know, independent productions overlook is the quality of audio. Um, so we always thought about that. We were like, well, I don't know about doing a night or a, a, a daytime exterior, um, you know, in Amarillo anywhere, just because based on, you know, we don't know if we're going to be able to get dialogue or anything. And so, but anyway, we happened to, to shoot out a Cadillac ranch, which was really cool because, um, Brian Dennecke himself actually helped, um, put those Cadillacs in the ground where they are currently. Um, so he was, a, he was part of that. And that was really cool. We couldn't, we didn't have the budget to recreate that day. I was, I was always pushing for it, but we just, we couldn't, couldn't make it happen. But, um, it was one scene that I, I really would have liked to do, um, but there's that, and then uh, of course the Potter County Courthouse, which is downtown, um, and just a lot of a lot of the downtown type stuff. Like uh, the punks hung out downtown, um, so that was you know a, I always look at settings as more of characters. So whenever you pick a location, it, it's it's literally the same as picking a, a character um, because it needs to say, express something as well uh, along with the actors, just to kind of like complement each other and and. Uh, so there's that, and then uh, we actually used uh, the real football stadium that the uh, the high school plays at as well. So um, they actually allowed us to go in there, and and I think we shot the uh, the big uh, Hell Week game, which is Amarillo High and Tascosa, which are the two the two big schools in town. And uh, so the game was crazy; the crowd was huge. It worked out really good, and we were able to get um, some releases signed and and get all that done. And um, so those were just things that we definitely wanted to get. There's also um, there's a big shot of a cross um, in the beginning. That is a town that's about 30 or 40 miles um, away from Amarillo. And then Clarendon is a, a super religious, evangelical. Um, you, you probably know all about that kind of stuff in Utah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Mormon stuff. Um, the uh, it, they have these really these really crazy signs that are literally everywhere. All like you drive through the town and there's just signs everywhere and they're like you know, just religious sayings, you know, here and there. And we thought that was a really good um, way to kind of set the stage as well. Um, so not only do you see the conservative side of Amarillo, but you really get that, that underbelly, um, you know, with, with the punks live in the underbelly and the jocks live in the, you know, the what you see in the daytime, you know, kind of thing that, um, you know, people don't don't turn away from the stuff that you're used to seeing and, and people want you to see. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, there's just definitely something we want to get across. Right. Okay. I, oh yeah. No. Go ahead, Chris. I was just saying. I mean, you were saying you shot a lot of downtown stuff and everything, and it worked out well that you're shooting this because back then when stuff was going on, there wasn't a bunch of neon like there is no, now. No, the neon. Yeah, we were like, yeah, we, that was really cool. I was so, really surprised I mean, to see all that. Yeah. And that worked really well because that was kind of one of our devices. We wanted, you know, a lot of the scenes to look like. We used a lot mm -hmm. of practical lighting, especially with like the punk venue where we incorporated neons into the scene. And we used that as, you know, motivated lighting. Um, and we did a lot of uh, lighting gags is what we call it. Um, and so, yeah, having those those neons all over that uh, Polk Street there downtown, which is like the it's like the drag in Amarillo kind of deal. I guess now it is. But um, so that was kind of cool to be able to. To do that, and, I mean that's that's stuff that I used to do. Um, you know, whenever I lived there, and I would you know be riding my bike down the you know that same street in the middle of the night, mm -hmm. and you know it was just something about being out away from everybody, 
and it was so desolate and peaceful and it was definitely something i know brian had probably done you know a hundred times before you know and i think everything yeah, happened so you were saying the punks were more downtown and stuff i think yeah um the jocks we were we were on 45th is where we were yeah 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 <laughs> where, where, what school did you go to i went to caprock okay okay so uh, i mean not not terribly like i wasn't I didn't know Brian personally, but I knew of him and I knew of the group because there was there was uh, quite a few kids at Caprock also that were, uh, you know, punks and stuff like that. Yeah. But, um, you know, I was telling Andre this um, when we were talking about it last too. Like, you know, there was definitely seg- segregation, uh, and but for some reason, and at Caprock we didn't. It wasn't that bad for us. We we got along with everybody, and I because I, I mean I was a football player, I was a jock, you know I wore those white hats and stuff like that, but I had a lot of friends that were punks, and we got along really well and stuff, and it's just I don't I guess it was just well, see, different than Tusco. So. Okay, I went to Randall, so I was I was Caprock and Randall are kind of the neutral schools of the and, yeah. and PD as well, the kind of the yeah. neutral schools of the. The area and then Amarillo High and Tascosa are like the ones that are actually in the city, you know. So, um, they they're in the, and I, I don't know, not to mention they're also a lot that I don't know, there's a lot of very wealthy people that go to Amarillo High, you yes. know, and then the wealthy families do. And then there's also some of those at Tascosa, not as many, but but Tascosa also has you know a lot of not so wealthy people as well. So, they kind of it's right. I, I always thought Tascosa was the most diverse school. Especially with it being like directly in the middle of the town, but anyway, we won't go off too too yeah, much yeah, yeah. the Amarillo schools. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Caprock, I I've actually been kicked out of that school many times with uh, <laughs> not kicked out, but but uh, skating and riding, and uh, you know people would call the cops or whatever, and, mm-hmm. and so we'd always run from the cops, and so um, yeah, very familiar with Caprock. <laughs> so Jameson, tell tell us tell us what was. What was one of the low or lowest moments for you in your directing experience of this movie? And then I guess one of your, your high, high notes. Huh, that's a tough one. Um, let me think. I, I think some of the, the lower parts of it were the fact that we, we had Stanley Marsh, who was a very centric billionaire um, character who – if, if you're ever around Amarillo, you know who Stanley Marsh is or what, what he's done, um, you know, for the community. But he's a very controversial character. A lot of stuff happened. Anyway, we had we had a few scenes that, that talked more about the Dynamite Museum. So with the signs um, that you see everywhere, sprinkled right. throughout town and stuff, um, we had a lot more elaborate scenes. We had, actually had a parade scene um, where the punks basically paraded outside this church um, that you see Cody Cates and his family leave. Um, and so there was like this, this whole interaction thing. And anyway, uh, the day that we filmed, uh, it was thunderstorming and crazy and crazy rain. And it was just a horrible day. And uh, it was completely devastating for all of us because everybody, the entire, um, you know, production was like, I can't wait for the parade day. I can't wait for the parade day. Cause it was going to be like time to shine for all the punks. Like they got to go as radical as possible. Um, you know, in, in front of this church going crowd, which is going to be like super shocked to see all these punk kids running around. <laughs> and, uh, so we had this, this scene in there and, and, uh, ended up, you know, it, it didn't work out the day, the day really sucked, but, um, we always looked at it as, you know what, Brian, you know, he's our punk angel. And, uh, 
he basically is saying, hey, I want these scenes in there. I don't want these scenes in there. And then so that might have been a scene that he was like, nope, didn't want it in there. Yeah. So yeah. there's one way we looked at it. I think um, I think as far as the, the highs go, I, I really think um, day one, we started out with that punk rock uh, concert scene. And I think that, uh, man, uh, it was it was high energy. It was, you know, we a lot of films like I, I wanted to start really easy. Like I wanted to start with like, hey, let's start with the the breakfast scene or, you know, something to like let the crew kind of like, you know, get in a rhythm. And then we, uh, you know, and then we, once we get that rhythm, we'll start shooting some of the more complicated, you know, bigger, bigger scenes. And, uh, but Sheldon was like, no, let's do the concert day one. It'll, it'll set the tone for the rest of the shoot. And that was really the best call because, um, we went out there and we shot it. It was very good energy. Everybody was super into it. Um, we actually had the real life, uh, so the real life brother, and then two of Brian's best friends actually make cameos in that scene. Um, as as Dave is walking, or let's say Brian Dinicky, you know, Dave plays Brian. He's walking into the club, and as he's as he's walking in, he's greeted by um, John King, who's one of the characters in the movie as well, but was one of Brian's friends. And then he asks Jason Dinicky, who is his real life brother, "Hey, man, have you seen my brother?" And uh, you know, and Jason responds, "Yeah, man, he's in there somewhere, kind of deal." So there was there's these little Easter eggs that are in there. Um, and so I think just being able to involve them, um, in this thing and having their support and then them actually put their faces in it, I think was really cool. Yeah. Um, that that meant a lot to all of us. Yeah. So, and that was, that was, and I think Mike and Betty were on set that day and it was, it was just such a, I don't know, such a cool experience. I I think that was, I know it was day one, but really it was, it was just a matter of like, here we go, you know, here goes nothing and it's happening and everybody could see that it was happening. Well, one last question, Jamie said. Tell me, tell tell us what what does this film mean to you um, to get the story of Brian Dinicky out? Man, I mean, the the thing is, is is the story of Brian Dinicky has been out um, for so many. I mean, twenty years. We're going on twenty years right now. Um, you know, it's been on MTV. It's been twenty twenty. It's you know, Marilyn Manson talked about it. Oprah's even talked about it. It's been very widely syndicated over the years. So I think. The fact that nobody has approached this thing, you know, narratively yet um, for you know feature film, was shocking. Uh, we we couldn't believe it whenever you know we sat down with Mike and Betty. So I I think really it was just a matter of um, I don't know. It's just it's like literally the ultimate passion project for I think literally everybody that was involved on it. It was I mean I've I've been on on you know a lot of you know commercial sets and and you know. You know, big productions that aren't movie productions, but, you know, productions where people aren't really happy to be there, so to speak. And that never happened with Bomb City. Everybody was like totally game from day one, even before day one, from the you know weeks of pre-production going into this thing. Everybody's hearts were in it. And uh, it was just such a cool collaboration. Just that, I don't know, it was, it was a really cool, I don't know, really cool experience. And I hope that uh, I, I hope that it shines through, you know, and people can see that kind of on screen with just, I don't know, with, with everything that went into it, because a lot of you know, this was a micro budget indie feature. And, you know, a lot of people donated, you know, a lot of time and, and resources and, and their talent um, to make it happen. And I think really just seeing all that come together and the fact that everybody's proud of it and the fact that the family um, is behind it 100 percent, that that's better than any anything we could ask. Well, Jameson, I I, I had, was unfamiliar with the story of Brian and D- Brian Dinicky before Bomb City. I, I had never heard of this before, um, and and so me 
as a viewer and as a first-time viewer and getting to know Brian Dinicky through Bomb City, all I can say, man, is I am so, so incredibly grateful uh, that that I got to see this film for the first time and to get to know Brian through your eyes. And so, uh, you know, I, I cannot give you an, enough credit and, and enough praise for the movie that you and your team created. It's an incredible movie. I could not recommend it enough. I, I am very happy that I'm uh, the, the proud owner of this movie. And uh, that's, uh, uh, that's actually a uh, thanks to Chris, Chris and uh, his crew. They kind of did a giveaway for a digital copy, but um, um, you know, it, 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 when this movie does come out to, to video or DVD or Blu-ray, I, I, I will be happy to purchase this film. So um, Dude, you guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you for checking out the film and yeah. for spreading the word. And, and uh, I mean, we, we cannot thank you enough. I mean, it's, it's, been quite the quite the roller coaster of experience or you know a roller coaster ride so to speak so just to have support you know and especially you know from utah cool as that so <laughs> yeah man, from man. Amarillo. Yeah. We'll, we, we love the support from amarillo as well absolutely right. absolutely <laughs> well hey james oh yeah go ahead chris uh, just just one quick thing before we we ended here i mean you know um we go into this movie and people around amarillo have, have known this movie has been made you know we've heard through the grapevine this and that and you know um i've heard a lot of people say no it's just gonna make amarillo look bad it's just gonna make make us look like a bunch of jerks and this and that and you know it starts to set in about you know you know like you said everybody knows about what happened to brian you know a bunch of people picked it up and stuff like that and and it does you know have a bad taste in your mouth about amarillo but and then so when the movie's getting closer and closer to, to premiering and stuff, you start to hear. And, it, I mean, just me being plugged into the movie scene here in, in around Amarillo, you know, you start hearing people say, oh, it's, it's going to be horrible for us. It's going to be this and that. And then after watching the movie, you, you – that is f- the furthest thing from the truth. You, the way you, your crew and you told the story, um, it's just so amazingly done on wanting to preach love and not hate. Yeah, yeah, this bad thing happened and bad things happen, but the way that it was told was so great, man. And I am just, I am over the top, just thrilled the way everything came out. Um, I we pushed this movie on everybody that we could, and uh, I just Dude, thank just, you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. That means the world to me and all of us involved, man. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, wh- hey, while we're on the topic, real quick, we've been like I, I would say I, I probably get you know, a hundred to a thousand messages a day of <laughs> talking about why we changed the name of the killer. Mm. Um, oh, you know, yeah. which obviously yeah. it's a different name. Um, basically, you know, I don't know. My, my take on the thing has always been, I, I hate when the media glorifies people that have killed other people and, you know, people have become famous because of these awful things that they, that they've done. Um, and so, I, I don't know. I think it's just a matter of, you know, first and foremost, this was Brian's story. Um, so we wanted to spread Brian Dinicky's message of love and unity as much as we could um, to the masses and to the world and to try to do our best. But also, um, you know, 
like you were saying with the unity, it, it's just a matter of really a matter of, hey, let's learn a lesson here and let's not mm-hmm. let's not learn to hate each other any more than how much hatred's already going on, you know, today. There's there's tons of it. Especially right. in high schools now. It's 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 crazy. Um and this I think really our goal with this, even though it's gritty, it's you know, it's it there's a lot of profanity, it's very violent. Um we've been approached many times saying, Hey, this is something that we hope that every high school you know, across America, um, could play for their kids. Um, and hopefully maybe they'll, they'll learn to treat each other with, you know, dignity and respect and appreciate each other for who they are. And so really that was just one, one way of us changing the name of the killer and not glory. I I find it a way of glorifying the name, you know, Mm -hmm. of a murderer. And so I, I don't, I don't like that. So it's just a matter of, you know, let's just, Let's let's push Brian. Let's push the the story, and let's get it out there, and let's let's affect people, and let's hopefully you know an audience can relate to it and, and want to learn from it and make a change. So, well, th- Jameson, thank you so much. Uh, I, I I cannot thank you enough again for coming on. But uh, before I let you go, I I, I have something. Uh... <laughs> have something that I'd like to do. And this is something that I do with every uh, guest that I have on. And so Chris went through this too, when we uh, reviewed bomb city, but, uh, um, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> I have, I have just a set of questions that I, I ask every new guest that comes on. And this is just, just a way for our listeners to get to know you as a movie fan, not necessarily a director, but just you as a fan of movies. So are you up, up for and willing to uh, answer a few yeah. of these questions? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cool, cool. Give it a shot. <laughs> now it's time for some get to know you questions. Okay, Jameson. So I've got five questions, and question number one is what is your desert island movie? So if you could only watch one movie for the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh Forrest Gump. Forrest <laughs> nice, Gump. nice. Or I'd go dark and I, I would say seven. Oh, Seven or Forrest Gump, totally different ends of the spectrum, but oh, yeah. that's 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 really <laughs> good. I, you know, I've had I've had a uh, gosh, I've probably had seventy different people on the podcast now, and uh, I have not had anyone say Forrest Gump or Seven. So uh, very good, very good. Okay, question number two: uh, What is your favorite movie theater snack? Hmm. I don't know. There's all those uh, dine-in movies now, you know, where you can like order like a four-course meal and watch a movie. So does that count, or do we got to do like something more, uh, <laughs> more so, candy-related? So are you are you talking about like uh, the Alamo Draft House? Yeah, yeah, Alamo Draft House. They have uh, these amazing <laughs> chicken tenders. Uh, I forget what they they make them with like cornbread or something. They're incredible. So if you're ever at Alamo Draft House, get the chicken tenders. <laughs> nice, nice. That's good. That's good. Okay, okay. Um, question number three: What was the first movie that made you cry? If you can't remember, oh, if man. you can't remember, I'll give you the option of what was maybe the last movie that made you cry. I think probably the first one. What you know, this this is very cliche, but it had to be Titanic. Um, I think I was like ten. <laughs> uh, the last one to make me cry. Um, does it count that I cried probably like 4,000 times, like just being at screenings with the Dinicky family, uh, <laughs> every time we do bomb city. Oh my gosh. Being Abs- with absolutely. Would, uh, absolutely. Lose yeah. I lose it. So no, absolutely. Um, but I would say the one that gets me every time though, man on fire that always gets me the ending scene to, to man on fire. Oh, very good. Time. Very good. Okay. <laughs> question, question number four. Um, do you have a favorite, 
uh, actor and or director? Um, David Fincher, I think as far as director goes, either him or Alfonso Cuaron. I'm a big Alfonso Cuaron fan. Um, and what's the, what's the other part of the question? Oh, if you had a actor. favorite actor, yeah, anyone that you like to uh, watch. I I would freaking love to work with John Goodman someday. I heard he's very difficult to work with, but uh, <laughs> he is awesome. So um, that would be a fun one. Do you have a favorite John Goodman movie? <laughs> uh, Red State, something oh, nice. that a lot of people probably haven't seen, but it's a Kevin Smith film. Yeah. Um, it, it's about a cult. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Nice. Anyway, John Goodman destroys that movie. He's so good in it. Okay, last question, Jameson. Um, if you could change the ending of any one movie, which movie would it be and how would you change it? Now I ask this question just because just because as just as a film fan, you know, sometimes movies movies just end in a way that you either don't expect or you don't want. And and obviously those movies are done purposely, but is there a movie whose ending or yeah, just whose ending you would just be like, oh, I gotta change that ending. <laughs> I, I would say one movie I was totally into. Um, I I love kind of like sci-fi thrillers. Um, and you guys ever see The Signal? No, I haven't. Movie called The Signal. Um, Olivia Cook's in it. Um, anyway, uh, it uh, came out a few years ago. Who else is in it? Uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, really? You know, from The Matrix. Okay. Um, Anyway, the signal, it's, it's, I don't want to ruin the ending now that you haven't seen it, <laughs> but it was, uh, I don't know. There's, there's something about the ending where the entire movie's great. Then you watch the ending and you're like, really, you know, kind of deal. So I, I don't want to say more than that, but I um, well, uh, watch I, the signal though. Check it fair out. enough. Fair enough. I just added to my watch list. So that's going to be next up on <laughs> okay. my list. Chris, have you seen that movie? Uh, I have not. I guess I'm adding it to mine. Nice, very good. <laughs> yeah, check it out. It's it's good. It's really if you like if you like you know Area 51 type stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I'm totally into that. I like I like alien stuff and and whatever. But nice. it's pretty cool. Jameson, thank you so much, man. Why don't you go ahead and let the listeners know how uh, they can either um, if they just want to reach out to you, say hello, maybe follow you on social media, and how they can get their hands on Bomb City. Why don't you let them know? Yeah, uh, all of our social media outlets are at Bomb City Film. Um, so we have, you know, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, all that good stuff. The film is available everywhere. It, it's still playing in a few select theaters, um, but we're pretty much at the end of our run. Um, but but you can watch it on demand. It's on Amazon, iTunes, Google, Sony. Um, basically, you name it, it's probably there. Cable on demand, all that kind of stuff. Um, it just became available in, I believe, all English-speaking territories. So we're now in the UK, and we're now in Australia as well, um, on iTunes, on both of those. So, um, yeah, I think that's about it. But bombcityfilm.com if you want any more info and you want to check anything out. I, I believe that um, we have our personal contacts on there as well because we like hearing from people and, and uh, talking with you guys. So anyone, feel free to reach out. I'd love to uh, talk with you. Oh, Jameson, once again, a thousand thank yous. This has been such such an honor and just a pleasure to uh, to be able to talk to you and to just get your you know your own personal take on the movie that you directed. So thank you so much. Um, and listeners, thank you so much for listening, for downloading today's episode. On behalf of Chris with Screen Addicts Podcast and Jameson Brooks, the director of Bomb City, this is Andre with Backseat Director signing out. We'll see you guys next week at the movies. 
The Backseat Directors theme song is Let's Go to the Movies by Ozo Motley. You can find the album, Ozo Motley Presents Ozo Kids, and all of their other music on iTunes. Join the conversation online and follow Backseat Directors on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The BD Podcast. So much variety. There's a perfect movie for you and him and her and me. So find your seat in the perfect row. Sit back, relax, kick up your feet, and turn off your phone.